coffee is a great power in my life. It chases away sleep and it allows us to exercise our intellects. This is Deanna Olson. Sure, she likes coffee, but not nearly as much as one of her idols did. The French writer Honoré de Balzac is famous for his grand literary works, but he's also notable for something with even more kick. It's been said that he drank up to uh, 50 cups of coffee a day, something I definitely don't recommend to my customers. You know who else drinks a lot of coffee? Canadians. Every year, we chug more than 14 billion cups of the stuff. A few years ago, researchers compared 80 countries. They tallied up how many liters of coffee were consumed outside the home per capita. We came in first. So while Balzac was French, he would have felt right at home here. He was, he was a very enthusiastic coffee drinker. Too enthusiastic, one might say. This is Earning Curve, a podcast about business in Canada from Interact and Gimlet Creative. I'm Michelle Romano. No one builds a business on their own. On each episode of the show, we're listening in on conversations between entrepreneurs who have struck business gold. We've talked to a number of early stage founders on the show, but how do you stay innovative when you've been on the scene for a while? Today, we're in Ontario with two people who know a lot about following their hearts and their taste buds to answer that question. They've created businesses that are greater than themselves, in these two cases, by creating beverages for any occasion, day or night. In a bit, we'll be joined in the studio by Cam Heaps, one of the co-founders of Steam Whistle Brewing. In their tireless quest for supreme taste, Cam and his partners have created one of the most successful pilsners in Canada. But first, Deanna Olson is the founder and president of Balzac's Coffee Roasters, based in Toronto. She grew up in Vancouver, and her relationship with coffee grew up alongside that other coffee chain. Starbucks started in Seattle, and then their first expansion was north up into uh, up into Vancouver. So I did, through university, drink a lot of Starbucks coffee, which at the time was something very new. I just love the whole ritual of coffee. It's also kind of an adventure. I can try different coffees all the time. Deanna's relationship with Balzac, the author, also started with an adventure. I spent my summers in Quebec, and I spent two years working in, in Paris as an au pair and went to the Sorbonne and took French language. And I got to see a lot of the older cafes where a lot of writers hung out. I learned about Balzac. I read a lot of his works. A few years later, back in Toronto, Deanna found herself in a rough patch in her career. I was working in a large corporation, working out of a cubicle in a customer service kind of position. I had to commute north on the Don Valley Parkway every day, and it took me an hour each way, and I was not happy. I really just came up with a business idea that married some of my passions in life. I was very passionate about coffee. I was passionate about French culture. Essentially, I created my my dream job. I've already told you that Balzac the man loved coffee. He went to great lengths to blend his own perfect cup, all the way down to roasting his own beans. He would go to different vendors through Paris to find beans from different parts of the world, 
There's a biography of him that actually has the receipts and the stores and the type of coffees that he was buying. So I found three different types of coffees and we approximated the closest we could get. And Balzac's Coffee Roasters was born. Deanna merged the pursuit of the perfect roast with the Balzacian philosophy she absorbed while in Paris. Our mission statement is the cafe is the people's parliament. It's a great mission statement to have, especially nowadays. I mean, it's about inclusivity. And that, to me, is, is what a cafe is meant to be. She went to San Francisco to learn how to roast her own beans. She bought a roaster, and in 1993, she set up shop in an outdoor kiosk in Toronto. Three years later, she moved into her first proper cafe in Stratford. With a roof over her head, Deanna began to introduce people to the kinds of coffee she loved, stuff that at the time was barely available in North America. Deanna was ahead of her time. Today, cafe culture is delineated by so-called waves. The first wave involved the widespread uptake of coffee drinking in the middle of the century. The second wave was the introduction of specialty cafes like Balzac. And with that specialty wave came a desire to know more about this magic beverage. People were interested in coffee, but it was almost too foreign. People did not understand what that big machine was sitting in the back of my cafe. They, they constantly referred to it as, as my grinder. I'm back there working on my grinder, not my roaster. Despite doing all this community education, Deanna wasn't really sure she ever wanted to expand outside of Stratford. But opportunity came a-knocking. I was approached by the developers of the distillery district in Toronto, and the cafe was one of the things they wanted, and they didn't want to bring in a, a chain. Starbucks wasn't even here yet. I got my pick of locations, and I think I picked well. Yeah, and I guess you could say was was the game changer for Balzac's. It's such a high-profile location, and from there I became someone that developers would go to for new projects. In a standalone building and a high-profile location, Balzac's now had a moment at the center stage. And Deanna got Toronto buzzing. Today, Balzac's Coffee Roasters has 14 locations across the Toronto area, each with its own distinct look and feel, but still adhering to Deanna's strict pursuit to the perfect roast and that egalitarian atmosphere. And she's still pushing the boundary. She's expanding to Ottawa this year and refreshing the designs of some of her older cafes. As the boutique coffee trend has continued to evolve, Balzac's now finds itself as something of an elder in the community, but also has a dominant model for how to grow without losing vigor or vision. Coming up next, another beverage impresario with a taste for hops and healthy growth. We're joined by Cam Heaps of Steam Whistle Brewing after the break. The inspiration for Deanna Olson's coffee empire, Balzac's Coffee Roasters, was a distant literary giant. For Cam Heaps, co-founder at Steam Whistle Brewing, the adventure of entrepreneurship started with a relationship much closer to home, his dad. Cam's father was a brewer at Upper Canada Brewing Company, and Cam spent his teenage years washing bottles and learning the ropes. 
Years later, the company was acquired, and Cam and a few of his buddies were laid off by new management. Out on a canoe trip, the friends hatched a plan for a new brewery of their own. Originally, they thought they'd call it Three Fired Guys, but they settled instead on steam whistle brewing, evoking the sound and feel of a hard day's work and a cold, frosty drink at the finish. They started brewing Pilsner beer, a bright, crisp lager. And as he told me and Deanna, they decided they'd do just one thing really well. We really wanted to go after uh, the European Pilsner import mm-hmm. market because right. beer is best drank in its freshest state. So yeah. with the right strategy and the right investment, why couldn't we make a world-class Pilsner here in, in Canada? Canada? Yeah. And that's, that's, we said, well, okay, we're going up against some, some pretty big old breweries. We, let's do everything we can who to focus. Is, who is in your mind as like the two big competitors? Well, certainly Heineken and Stella yeah. are, um, they're certainly the, the prominent global players. Yeah. Deanna, when um, when you started, you were really intentional about the quality of the roasted bean. Did that ever unintentionally hamstring you? Well, I started roasting before I even had a cafe. So it really was all, like just of, in your all about the roasting in, in a garage. Yeah. Originally, I was selling the beans from a kiosk yeah. and was a little bit Testing the waters, really, to open a cafe. Yeah. But but it always really, really has been about coffee roasting for me. Yeah. The cafes are a vehicle for getting the beans out there. Yeah. And also just to promote the brand. Mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, Build that but, kind of experience. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it might get lost sometimes because the cafes can steal the show, right. particularly the uh, distillery district cafe. Yeah. But um, we just always, you know, we always just circle back and it's always been about the beans. About so, the beans. Yeah. That's cool. Cam, today the the brewing world is virtually unrecognizable from the one 20 years ago. <laughs> I mean, microbreweries are everywhere. There's so many more options than to even count. It's not about, you know, the top three anymore. You know, have you seen the kind of pendulum swing back the other way that now people want this like gluttony of choice? Uh, very good question. I mean, the, the, the walls in the liquor store or beer store uh, have changed dramatically over time. And yeah. we have, in the last uh, 20 years, there's been about 200 new breweries joined the scene here and on, just on Ontario. Just in Ontario. Yeah. Wow. So I think the craft brewing movement has brought a lot of excitement to the beer category, yeah. which was probably losing a bit of excitement 30 years ago when, when all the beers started to look and taste the same. And so f- for you, Deanna, that's probably the same with coffee. There's been kind yeah. of this wave of, <laughs> sure. of cafes. And like, how have you stayed agile and competitive as the culture of coffee has shifted again and again? Um, I think part of it is we kind of operate in our own bubble, so to speak. Um, <laughs> how we, do you stay in your own bubble? Uh, listening to our customers. So right. not not being too concerned about what the trends are, what's going on, because with the coffee industry, they're changing so quickly, yeah. just styles of roasting and everything. I, I really admire the do one thing and do it well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think with with coffee, it's a real spectrum with, yeah. with roasting from light to dark and sort of everything in between. We've been able to appeal to a broad range of people. I've seen it go from light roast to dark roast 
back to light <laughs> roast, and now it's All slowly going back to dark roast. The, mm. Fascinating how that works. The trans that just tells you how long I've been doing this, yeah. which is yeah. which is a long time. Yeah, so. you've probably seen the Pilsner, out of the Pilsner, back to the Pilsner. Like, have you ever we're been kind, tempted? We're very to... much going through that now. I mean, yeah. there was, um, and I think now we see more people. Uh, not so much going back necessarily exclusively to Pilsner, but looking for um, sessionability in, in, in their beers they choose. So they're happy happy with some complex flavors. And, and sessionability is a fancy word for how many beers you can drink in well, one night. Well, it's yeah, dr- drinkability. Uh, <laughs> drinkability. You know, drinkability. Pilsner has yeah. done well over time with uh, globally because of its, its drinkability. It's right. very refreshing. Style. Yeah. yeah, it's what we drink in the uh, locker room after a hockey game. Exactly. Yeah, it's, always, it's a very, yeah, very special thirst question. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so, so, Dana, let's talk a little bit about expansion and how you've thought about when it was the right time. You're just expanding into Ottawa now. Yes, we are um, hopefully going to be opening within a few months. It's been very measured growth. It's not so much looking for opportunities. It's when they come to me and then the opportunities are too good to turn down. I think that's sort of the model I use of when I open a new cafe, that I've been approached to open a cafe. I can't say no because... The deal is too good. (laughs) Well, it's too great of a location. It's to pass up. It, It ticks all the boxes. I turn down probably 90 locations for every one that I... That wow. I actually will settle on. So. And is it just the quality of the real estate, or what? And what have you learned from the places that have closed versus the places that have done really well? That really matters when you're expanding. Our mission statement is actually a quote by Balzac himself: "The cafe is the people's parliament." So mm-hmm. we really try and not just target one demographic. We look for locations that. Um, have a real community feel, mm-hmm. anywhere near a cultural center, university. Mm-hmm. And I'm really proud of the fact that when you go into our cafes, you will see a really broad range of people in terms of mm-hmm. ages and race, gender, all of that. Yeah. And and that is, to me, what, what a cafe is for. The People's Parliament. That's really interesting. And so, Cam, you're, you've also expanded kind of slow and methodically. You mm-hmm. said you started in 2000. How have you thought about expansion and growth in new markets? When my partners, uh, Greg, Greg and I started out, we really wanted to become Canada's most respected premium beer. We mm-hmm. thought every great brewing nation usually has one. And mm-hmm. at the time, if you asked uh, 20 different Canadians, you'd get 20 different answers as to, totally. to what that was. So we thought with the focus on the Pilsner and uh, the focus on Canada, we would slowly uh, expand province by province until eventually we filled in the country. And if we were able to achieve that goal, then we had a, a platform with which to to begin our export strategy. We've just recently added the last province, which is Quebec, which we're quite excited about. Congratulations. So we'll see how that goes. And um, and then we should be in a position to to look outside of the country. So let's talk a little bit about the marketing and how you thought about that. So the working title for your company was Three Fired Guys. Is yes, that correct? it was. Yes, it was. And then Steam Whistle became the nod to the end of the workday and kind of cracking a cold one. Well, it was funny. We were actually standing on a building very close to Balzac's uh, distillery location at the time. Uh, they hadn't developed it. It was still primarily a, a, a movie set. This mm-hmm. is back in 99. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a beautiful view of the city from that side of town. And you could see the little puffs from the HVAC systems coming off the towers. And we thought, 
wow, we got to put a big steam whistle on the roof of the brewery and <laughs> blow it off every day and the whole city will run out and drink our beer. And uh, my partner and I just love that whole concept of that. Anyway, we, we changed our name, but we did put emboss on the bottles, the 3FG. The 3FG. So we don't forget our roots. And so, Deanna, let's talk about your marketing a little bit. I mean, your stores are beautiful. Certainly the distillery location, I think, is they want to use it for a film shoot every other day. Yeah. It's just that type of place. I mean, how did you think about building, um, you know, visually the the brand and what matters? We talked a little bit about the People's Cafe and, and bringing the right people in. But how did the aesthetic contribute um, to that? Well, originally with the name and with my own experience, um, it, it came from spending time in Paris. And at that time, the coffee companies in North America had a very sort of generic feel with lots of laminates and... Tim Hortons? Backlit. <laughs> I was thinking um, coffee time. So. Yeah. 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 And uh, so I really wanted to embrace that older vintage cafe mm-hmm. feel. We have a slightly new, new look, but it's still based on like really good finishes, good building materials. Mm-hmm. It's a place where people can sit and enjoy their coffee. And nowadays, especially with millennials, they sort of expect great coffee, mm-hmm. but they also expect to be in a in a great atmosphere with, with good music. And yeah. it's sort of the branding that we created back 20 plus years ago now has become very popular and it seems that everybody is is doing that the very uniqueness that made it special right is is now now being lost at scale like yeah but i think that's changing i really do i've i've heard it referred to as boutique at scale Mm -hmm. where companies are really they're protecting that original branding Mm -hmm. and they're not taking it over and growing it to the point where it loses the bones. The fabric. The, yes, yeah, yeah the, what, what built it in the beginning. How have you thought about this, Cam? I mean, you've probably certainly wrestled with this. You were one of the first well, we effectively microbrewers and then, you know, became massive. And, and did you feel like you lose some of that? What, what helped you keep that, you know, boutique at scale or the uniqueness at scale? For us, we stay very true. We make a style of beer. You know, only ten percent of the people in the in the world today are making an all natural beer. Most of it's it's now made with a corn syrup, unfortunately. And it takes a lot of adherence to ethics to stay with that when you know it costs more. And most consumers don't know the difference because the beer consumer hasn't been as educated as in some industries. So we use Canadian uh, barley uh, that's been through a malting process. It comes from Saskatchewan. Mm -hmm. Uh, We charge a premium price not because we we are putting more money in our pocket, but because we're doing things that cost more money and our consumers uh, essentially appreciate that. And to be able to help them understand those differences is essential for our long-term success. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, beyond that, both of you have built an incredible community at uh, at both the office and and kind of in the extended community. Like, how have you seen that as important to you? How has that added value? And how did you go about building that? Well, my partner, uh, Greg, and I, we both, um, you know, we've done all the starting roles in a brewery, you know, mm-hmm. from sweeping floors to loading bottles to delivering beer. And I think that allows us to relate to to uh, right. the people uh, in, a, in a different way because you ultimately learn how critical all those jobs are. I mean, you're, you're, you're not much of an organization with just the people at the top. So right. right. That also lends itself to the conversation of growth because yeah. – 
a lot of our employees that have some of our top positions started as baristas. Right. So for me, it was important to grow when we had opportunities to grow for them because right. you know they Very start out they they're renting a an apartment and mm-hmm. you know a few years later they're you know paying their student bills and yeah. um, per- wanting to purchase a home yeah um, they're starting families and if we don't keep growing and if the boat doesn't keep floating upwards mm-hmm. you're going to lose them so. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. great that, um, you know, after 25 years that I can see great the greater feeling. community of Balzac. <laughs> to, to build yeah. this, this, like, even if mm-hmm. they leave, I'm always, for the most part, it's it's exciting to see them move on. And some of them um, even go on so, to start businesses. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, it's, it's great. It's it's very rewarding in that, in that aspect. Did, have you gotten a few competitors from your ex-employees? Oh, I mean, I yeah. Have. I mean, <laughs> You know, that, I think that uh, friendly, you know, as Dan yeah. said, that's yeah. that's the, the the ultimate, right? To yeah. see family members go on and do something they love, or yeah. go out on their own and take a risk uh, based on the confidence they've gained at your organization or the knowledge they've gained. Yeah, uh, I mean, you can't not uh, take some joy Be in proud. that. Well, ultimately, we're entrepreneurs. In any of our industry, there's Goliath, so yeah. it's mm-hmm. very rare that any of us will be, or anyone who starts a business will be a Goliath. So exactly, to have more. David's running around, uh, all chipping away mm-hmm. at the heels of Goliath is welcome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so f- for you, Deanna, it was important to be mainstream. It was important to not be, you know, a premium price. Like, how did you think about balancing those two things? Because the um, bean and the quality yeah. was also central to to your core. Well, I like to use the analogy of the um, the fashion industry, where you have mm-hmm. your your Pret-a-Porter line, mm-hmm. which is the um, the blends that um, actually make up probably about eighty percent of our sales, yeah. and and then we have our so it's exactly our what you said at the beginning, line, right? right? That it's you like, you cycle through, and I like doing that because it it just brings more sort of variety and yeah. excitement. You do have some customers that really you know geek out on coffee, and they <laughs> they're all about that, and they. You know, we have subscriptions on our website that they can sample the the more unique coffees. It allows us to travel. It allows us to do direct trade with farmers. But for the most part, you know, after doing this for twenty five years, um, <laughs> you 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 don't mess with the the secret sauce, the one that is right. um, sort of brought you to where you are. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, so and in some ways, Cam's the ultimate example of that, right? He said, "Look, yeah. this is the same thing. Your yeah. your classics will give you eighty percent of your sales, and unless you're having fun doing the other stuff, yeah." The only other countering factor is when you're in business long enough, then you know there is there is something to be said about the odd product to keep things exciting for some of your yeah. loyal people who have been or seasonal products have been yeah. have a great way stuff? a great way well we ha- we have we do offer um, the unfiltered version of our steam whistle down at the roundhouse yeah. uh, if you come for a visit and we have built a new brewery uh, recently in Etobicoke um, that it will be focusing on a, a dark lager style Yeah. so you know things yeah. uh, you have to evolve <laughs> with time and Maybe yeah. every 18 years we'll build a new brewery and focus on one more style. But Yeah. I think it's admirable that you've resisted to make all of the different the trends in the beer industry because 
the same with the coffee. Um, not so much coffee roasting, but the other drinks that are involved with a cafe. Yeah. You could twist yourself into a pretzel pretty fast if you're looking around all the time and seeing what other people are doing. Yeah. And, and saying, well, they, oh, they're you know, teaching better... it at school too in these yeah. in these marketing courses. They're teaching you constant brand extension. Yeah. Which I um, don't believe personally from from a branding perspective. Nothing wrong with additional products, yeah. but to continually extend a brand until it bears no fruit just seems right. like a yeah. So they, I mean, it can provide. I don't want to poo-poo anyone's strategy in, in, in our industry because uh, there are many paths to success. Uh, and, and I don't but, think you're uh, saying that. I think you're saying that there, it actually takes a lot of guts to stick with what you know is going to be the one great product and really oh, put yeah, everything sure. behind that and, sure. and not get distracted. Because sure. I think there is this like truth about you know, businesses don't die of starvation, they die of gluttony. They do, oh, yeah. you mm-hmm. know, too many yeah. things poorly versus, yeah. you know, running out of money trying to do one thing really well. For sure, for sure. Yeah. You know, you guys are both, you said you're 25 years in, you're 18 years in. Like, how do you think about the next chapter in terms of like, what are the goals for the business? How do we see, you know, both the coffee and the business or the beer business changing? And like, what does the next decade hold? Well, I think you're going to see uh, a little bit of rationalization in our industry there's been a lot of excitement and new entrants some people who have come into it i think for you know maybe they had a little money and mm-hmm. um you know they get come up excited. with a name for a beer brand and get a, an existing producer to make it and it's all fun and then they realize okay they, it's not so easy to keep the lights on so i think you'll see a little bit of closure there but i think you're going to see consumers more and more come back to um sessionable styles mm-hmm. there'll always be the exploration the big one for our industry is what's going to happen with liquid cannabis um right and infused products is a lot of talk about same with ours you know the marijuana <laughs> guys uh are going to want to have a product that looks like a beer smells like a beer tastes like a beer is in a beer bottle but there won't be, you know, government won't allow alcohol and THC in the same container. So, right. you know, there's in the government doesn't want to turn everyone into a bunch of smokers after spending 20 years trying to get rid of rid smoking. Of smokers, yeah. So they're going to pivot pretty aggressively, I think, into to beverages. edibles and consumables. And that's really going to have an interesting effect on our industry. It's fascinating. Mm-hmm. And what are your predictions? Ours too. Yeah. yeah. Well, going into Ottawa is, is sort of the near future. We, mm-hmm. we want to do not just one, but maybe three cafes there over the next couple of years. Uh, We have about four more cafes sort of in in the works in the the Toronto area, the greater Toronto area, and uh, a couple downtown. I think it will probably double over the next 10 years is yeah. my is my guess yeah now i gotta ask are you are you going because deanna's done some beer products with her coffee yeah. as well there was a coffee porter right <laughs> yeah, mill street? Was with, a, with mill street yeah. um well we were neighbors at the distillery yeah, i thought that was kind of cool yeah yeah fresh roasted coffee brewed yeah. in beer yes yeah. it, it was good silicon valley is kind of famous for this like fail fast um, you know, mentality they have. And so how do companies embrace mistakes in your day-to-day work so that the routines don't get so entrenched if they're not generating growth? Like, how do you kind of keep everyone motivated to constantly be be innovating? And what's the value of slowly tweaking a proposition if it's not working as opposed to blowing kind of the whole thing up? For us, it's an interesting one because we do have some cafes now that are they're they're struggling not um like everything's going great in the cafe but they're just not in like a busy enough neighborhood so there's just that 
population right. density issue. issue. My philosophy is you gain customers, especially with coffee, one at a time. I think it takes patience. Yeah. And I've only given up on one cafe. Mm-hmm. That was many years ago. And I like to say I didn't close it, but I relocated it. So <laughs> it was still in the same area, just a much better, much better location. For me, you throw at it whatever it takes. What do you think, Cam? We're a brewery. Yeah. Uh, the majority of beer will always be drank by legal drinking age to 35-year-olds. Mm-hmm. Um, although there's a bit of a spike lately with the 45 to 65 crowd. Um, so <laughs> and I think women. it's very, yeah, and women. Yep. Uh, and women invented beer. Mm-hmm. So we mustn't forget <laughs> that. Um, the most important thing for me personally is to make sure there's a constant flow of youth and younger uh, generational people entering the brewery because right. you have to be aware of of what's interesting, what's fun, what's relevant. If you're not constantly bringing in young, innovative people who are involved in the scene and wanting to be out there, and uh, that's where most of the business happens. So so the steady supply of, 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 of youth, I think, is really important. The other is encouraging ideas from from, from everyone involved right. and, not, and how we react if something doesn't work. I mean, absolutely the line that we learn most through failure is bang on. I mean, if you don't, uh, if you don't allow people to learn from some mistakes, they're just not going to learn much. So, and, and how do you get ideas from your younger staff, right? Because you're hundred percent right. You got to mm-hmm. keep engaging the, you know, legal drinking ages yep. to, to kind of keep coming on board. Like what's, what's the method for getting those ideas and figuring out what's relevant to them? Well, I think um, it's both internal staff and as well consumers. We get we have a ton of consumer interaction, mm-hmm. um, and that that's very been very helpful for us. Uh, we also have you know our frontline experience center down at the Roundhouse or offsite events is all generally um, younger generations, and to allow them to participate in the creative process as much as possible. Yeah, and we always need to be reminded. The ideas are, are are all around us. Let's get out of this room and go out into the trade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Finally, any last advice for each other? Given that you guys have both seen kind of different versions of <laughs> oh, a Oh, my of a only parting <laughs> advice would be have fun. Man, there's so much stress in the world these days. Even driving around uh, uh, on the way here, I see people yelling and honking and this and that. And Relax, yeah. have a good yeah. coffee, yeah. have a good beer. Exactly. Life will be okay. Yeah. No, it's. Uh, I, th- I think we're fortunate we're in businesses where... For the most part, customers are coming to us to do something pleasant. So yeah. it's a great part of their day That's yeah. that true. they can have a coffee break or a beer break. So yeah. we deal, for the most part, with people in a good mood, and yeah. I, I love it. So clearly the big takeaway is to build a business where customers are already happy when they come to you. Got it. But if you can't do that... The next best option is to delight them with a product or design that you've obsessed over. Deanna reinvented her whole life by heeding the impulse that said, this is your passion, go figure out how to do it. And Cam turned the experience of being one of these three fired guys into the momentum he needed to build a new and better business. In both cases, their companies continue to grow and succeed because the founders keep their eye on what's relevant today. They find ways to compare the value of the latest trends with the timeless appeal of their original brands. Cam and Deanna have stayed thirsty to innovate. We can all drink to that. 
This is Earning Curve from Interact and Gimlet Creative with additional production by Transmitter Media. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts so others don't miss out. I'm Michelle Romano. Thanks for listening.